Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Seconds to Less podcast. My name is Canyon Browning. I'm your host. I'll be joined during this episode by my co-host, David Haker. We're going to break down everything from NBA injury news, the implications on the different teams in our league, as well as top fantasy contributors, and an in-depth analysis of the five best rookies in the NBA thus far this year. We've had a great time filming all this stuff. It's been a ton of work. I don't think any of us anticipated how much time it would take to do this, but we've learned a lot and we've had a lot of fun. I hope it's entertaining. I hope it's informative and look forward to the next episode where we'll break each team down in detail and give you our thoughts on where the league is headed as a whole. Thanks for listening. Please give me any feedback you have. And I hope this is something really cool that we can enjoy for a couple of years to come. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Josh is busy off gallivanting, um, doing whatever it is that Josh does. He's going to join us for the second half of the show. But um, I think we'll just start the top of the show with Dave and I. We're going to cover kind of four segments. Um, We're going to start with injuries. Uh, We'll then go into kind of big personnel moves. Uh, Being quite honest, we're going to spend most of the time talking about Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Um, Then in the third, third section, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the top performers standouts from a fantasy perspective, people that have surprised us, um, people that maybe came out of nowhere or people that we're expecting to have big breakout years. Uh, And then lastly, we're going to focus in on rookies. Um, Obviously, you know, those of you that know me know I have a very high opinion of this year's rookie class. Um, Probably won't talk about all of them, but um, we'll, we'll hit those rookies a little bit. So I guess to top out the show, Dave, Jamal Murray, obviously, I mean, I think the the biggest impact you have there is, you know, he's on Jonathan's team. Obviously Jonathan's in every, well, we talk about this a little later in the show, but Jonathan, we have him in kind of that rebuilding phase. Um, are you holding on to Jamal and waiting for him to come back? Or are you selling him now while he's injured and, and in the hopes that he is, you know, it's changing the progression of his, uh, of his career. I mean, I would look to probably, I'd probably still hold on on uh, Jamal Murray, if I were Jonathan, um, because his team, we kind of had him down in like a rebuilding mode. Uh, And Murray's still young enough where, you know, he's got probably another solid decade left where he's going to be a a top 50, maybe even, maybe even higher player. um, If he maintains his health, once he gets back. Uh, And he's like in a good position in Denver right now where he's getting, he's going to, be able to feed off Jokic basically for the rest of his career, so long as they keep both of them. Um, yeah, Jokic is one his of his those- value isn't that high right now either because he's injured. If I, if he was on a team that was competing for the championship this year, then maybe you maybe you look to offload Murray if you get a decent offer. So the other guy I want to ask about, I, I want to ask about two more guys. Um, one is John Wall. So. You know, at this point, John Wall is basically perpetually injured. I think I think I saw a graphic the other day on on a game. I think this is actually before the trade to Houston 
but he had sat out, I think something like 218 straight games at some point, or some, maybe it was 218 straight, like days or something. It was some ridiculous length of period of time as compared to any other player uh, that is still an active NBA player. Um, is there any hope for him to come back and be the player he was before, or are you just hoping he's a 35 point per night guy at this point? Uh, I think you'd be really lucky to get more than that out of him. I think you'd have to fall in like the perfect situation. Um, I don't even know where that would be. Uh, he'd have to fall somewhere where his usage rate is going to be really high, which basically means the team doesn't know what they're doing because they're investing in an older player. Um, so maybe like, uh, maybe uh, New Orleans is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David Griffin doesn't know what he's doing. So like he's proven yeah. that repeatedly. So yeah. John Wall's perfect for that team. Maybe they'll just swap him. Zion for John Wall, perfect trade, good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely has, he has the ability and chance to come back and be a good role player on your team, but I wouldn't expect him to be a top, four or five player on your team. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty in alignment with that. I think I'd, I wouldn't write him off as done. I don't think his career is done. I think the danger you have with John Wall is he was a speed player. He's a De'Aaron Fox. He's a point guard in the, in the mold of De'Aaron Fox, right? So he, he speed kills, blow past the guy. He was never a great shooter. He doesn't have, you know, he has great handles, but you know, I mean, handles don't score buckets to be totally honest. Um, so I like him. I would, I would probably hold on to him if I'm Kara and just hope that you get 35 plus out of him. Um, and like I said, you, you really at this point praying that he goes to a team where, um, you know, their point guard sucks basically. <laughs> that's really what, that's really what you're hoping for. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd probably wait till he's on a, on a high and then I'd probably try and sell him. Um, that's me personally. Uh, but you know, I think there's a good chance he comes back. Maybe more like a, a stronger Derrick Rose because um, that's another guy that got injured repeatedly and was 100% reliant on speed. But I think John Wall's a little bit better of a shooter. And I yeah. think he's a little bit better of a, a offense setup guy. Um, so I think you can expect more stats out of him than, than someone like Rose. And I think right now Rose is rosterable. So... Well, I, we touched on a little bit. I think it's probably a natural transition point to like the, the thing that I think we'd be remiss not talking about. So the Kyrie situation. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say Jakob Pertl. He has COVID <laughs> and he's impacting my team. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely going to. That's the thing on everyone's mind is Jakob Pertl. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think, I think, so what is your take on that? And I don't want to get political. I don't want to talk about his like decision to not get vaccinated. Let's but talk about whether or not you should get vaccinated. <laughs> Let's do it. That's Let's, sure to be. Let, that's sure to be a hot, <laughs> uh, yeah, a hot message for everybody. But I think, I think obviously, so for background, for anybody who's listening, who doesn't know kind of the situation. So the state of New York has issued uh, basically a, a I don't know if it's a law or a, a mandate. I don't know what it is, but essentially statewide saying mandate. statewide mandate um, come from the governor's office that basically says, you know, if you're employed or you're going to participate in employment in the state of New York, you got to be vaccinated. Well, you know, most people don't think of it this way, but Kyrie is an employee of the Nets and as a result requires that he must be vaccinated to play at home games. Um, so obviously the, the big decision that they needed to make and ultimately Sean Marks needed to make was, 
Um, well, are we going to keep a guy and let him play half the games? Um, are we going to, are we going to, and maybe assuming, more importantly, oh, sorry. Assuming, assuming they change the mandate halfway through yeah. or assuming he gets vaccinated halfway through. Well, in, in theory, I think the half a game argument was, well, he could play away games. He could be on the team and play, you know, the other states that don't have these mandates. I think that ultimately, and this was in Sean Marks' statement when he finally came out with it, was I think they, they look, for, for whatever decision or position you hold on vaccinations, I think from a purely basketball standpoint, I really, really respect and agree with Sean Marks' decision, which was we don't need the media circus associated with Kyrie being on the team while he's making this decision. So it's Kyrie's decision. He's an adult. He can decide what he wants to do. There's a mandate in place. And while he can't play home games, he's not going to participate in team activities, which I think is the best way from a basketball perspective to say, like, here's the dudes who we're trying to win a championship with. And we don't need a question for Katie every night, a question for James Harden every night. Like, when Kyrie going to get vaccinated? Like, that's just not helpful to anyone on the team. It doesn't it certainly doesn't fit. Kevin Durant's personality. He does not enjoy the media, right? He has a very Kareem <laughs> Abdul-Jabbar approach to the media. Um, so I just think that from a basketball perspective, I get where he's coming from, whether you agree with Kyrie's decision or not. I think it, it just, it distracts from the mission um, of trying to win a championship. What do you think? Yeah, I think also an, uh, another big basketball reason there is every other game you got to try and rebuild your chemistry with the team that you have and building chemistry is not an easy thing. I, I mean, especially when you have three superstar uh, high usage players, like they're already, even if Kyrie was playing every single game, they'd already have chemistry issues that they need to work through. And it would probably take the most of the season to work through that. A lot like Miami was back in the day with uh, LeBron and Wade and Bosch. Yeah. Um, so to even, cut Kyrie out every other game, uh, you're never going to build that chemistry. And then once you get to the playoffs, if the mandate's still in place and Kyrie's still not vaccinated, then you got to play two games with Kyrie, two games without Kyrie, a game with, a game without, a, a game with. <laughs> there, there's just no way. There's no way that would work. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like the coaching burden created there. Like, I mean, Steve Nash. I think oh, I saw... uh, well, that's okay because remember, Kyrie said they don't need a coach. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You don't need a two-time MVP as your coach. That's not that you have Kyrie. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it'll be um, fine. <laughs> um, so obviously, for those people who don't know, um, the Pelicans showed up to media day. Uh, with news that, you know, never happens in today's media landscape, uh, showed up at media day, you know, and basically said, Hey, by the way, Zion broke his foot in the off season. It's no big deal. He'll definitely be there for the start of the season. Um, and then we, I think we heard what, like five days later that like he has a Jones fracture, which I'm not a doctor. So I don't know exactly what that, what that Kevin is. Kevin Durant had that. And I think he was out a whole year back when he was on OKC. Yeah, I know. I know uh, Bill Simmons and Kevin Durant's about a hundred pounds lighter. Yeah, Bill Simmons <laughs> covered it on his podcast, and and I'll and I'll quote: uh, "It's pretty nasty injury. Like in terms of fractures, like that's one of the fractures you don't want." Um, we we know. I think that I guess the best way for me to frame the question to you is: so when we now have a guy who's twenty one years old, who has had 
three major injuries in the last four years of his career going back to Duke. What are the other two? Um, he had a shoulder thing. He had a shoulder thing, and then he tore out – I think he tore his ACL or his knee um, at Duke, and that's oh, why he okay. didn't play the first season. I thought um, you were counting like uh, he broke a thumb somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, do, what do we think about this? I mean, obviously Zion is impactful for both the Pelicans and for Dustin's team. We talk about a little bit later, in my opinion, he's the – kind of linchpin of Dustin's team. Um, you know, I think he's got other, many other great players, but like you really need that one superstar. And I, I, I you know, if I'm Dustin, I'm hoping Zion is that superstar. Um, what, what do you think? What's the impact there fantasy wise there basketball wise? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously if Zion is healthy and he's playing like he did last year or even better than he did last year, he's, I mean, he's like a top 10, 15 guy, right? He, all he does is score points on high percentages or high field goal percentages and get a lot of rebounds and maybe get some other defensive or assists or whatever. Um, never going to get threes and going to suck at free throws, but that doesn't matter in our league. Um, so, I mean, if he's healthy and he's playing, he's uh, absolutely like a first round pick in our, in our league. Um but you know, like you said, he's been injured uh, more often than not now. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It's one of those situations where do you want to deal with this for the rest of your uh, dynasty league management career? <laughs> um, or do you want to cut loose early, try and get some other decent assets um, that probably aren't going to stack up to what Zion will be if he's healthy. I don't know yeah. what I do, honestly. Um, I, I have no idea. It's it re- very. It reminds, uh, the, it reminds me of like the debate. I know you don't play much fantasy football, but it it reminds me very much of kind of the debate of like um, when you have that guy who's right on the cusp of like being a good performer, like he has really boomer bust guy on a fantasy football team. I, there's a lot of people who basically say like, I just don't want him because I don't want to deal with the stress every week of deciding yeah. <laughs> whether he's going to be a boom or a bust. Like it's, it's kind of that, it feels like kind of that situation with Zion where it's like, I, I, and I, you know, obviously I, I don't want to taint the waters or be, or be called out for obfuscation. I'm, I will, I will officially put this on the record. I'm a huge Zion fan um, and have had multiple conversations with Dustin about potentially trading for him. But um I, you know, if I'm being objective about the situation, I think that if he does trade him, that will be the reason. So I, we're not going to cover what happened in the playoffs last year. I think everybody's intimately familiar with um, the failures out in Philadelphia and what happened um, and the fallout from that. I think what I'd love to hear from you on is given where we're at, Ben Simmons holding out on Philadelphia. Um, you know, he's with the team again, but not playing games. Where do you think that leads? Do you think he plays in Philadelphia this year or is he getting traded? Like, what does it mean for us as a fantasy league? I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear your opinions there. Uh, yeah. So Ben Simmons, first of all, nobody other than Ben Simmons knows what's actually going on. <laughs> so this is all just guesswork. But uh, I think the most recent report is that, um, He's like uh, actively refusing the Sixers uh, medical staff, mental health uh, uh, discussions. Like they want to put him through um, 
some mental health program, I, I suppose, whatever yeah, that means. So the, the, for those of you who haven't followed the Ben Simmons saga, essentially where this came from was, so Ben had an $8 million payment that was due at the beginning of this year. And in order to get that payment, he needed to report to the team. It's part of the contract and the, and the collective bargaining agreement of the NBA. And so, um, you know, he said at first, fine, I don't need the money. Well, he very quickly changed his mind on that after about two games of losing 360 something thousand dollars a game. Um, he reported to the team and there's another clause in the CBA that basically says a team doesn't have to pay a player if they're refusing to play instead of being injured. So because Ben Simmons is essentially refusing to play, Philadelphia invoked that clause. Um, and now Ben Simmons's counter to that has basically to say, I'm not physically injured. I'm mentally injured by my relationship with the team. And that's what's keeping me out of games, not my refusal. Basically, and now so the Sixers are offering their medical staff to assist with those mental issues, and he's refusing. <laughs> ben wants out. Daryl Morey doesn't want anything less than a James Harden level player for Ben Simmons. And he's not going to accept trades for, you know, the, the things that have been on the table, the, the trades that have been reported thus far, I think are, um, I think Portland. There was a offered, trade with Golden State. That yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah. Games, <laughs> um, Golden State offered. Um, their Wiseman, two first round draft picks this year. Yeah. Wiseman, both trip picks that turned out to be Kaminga and and Moody, Moody this year. And then I think some other picks as well. Um, yeah, maybe one other uh I think they offered like Damian Lee also, something like that. Uh, and then Portland offered CJ McCollum and some package of players and picks, but basically centered around CJ McCollum. Um, so Daryl's basically, it's at this point, the general consensus around, you know, sports media is um, Daryl's holding out for Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal. Right. Those are the two guys that are tier A, tier S level players. And potentially will become available. Yeah. And who so. fit with Joel B, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, in theory, Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah, you need a you need a guard who's a shooter who can complement Joel B. So, you know, I I I will say Daryl Morey has uh has proven himself to be uh a harsh negotiator, and I I don't see him giving in anytime soon. So at this point, it's just basically a battle of the wills. It's He's traded two two of the most untradeable contracts in the last three years, right? Or four yeah. years? He traded yeah. Chris Paul, and he traded Russell Westbrook. Yeah, Russell Westbrook. Yep. Like he was the guy, uh, the GM who got John Wall for Westbrook, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think the reality is Daryl Morey has the full support of Philadelphia. They've made that super clear. And Simmons um, still has like I think three years left on his contract. So. Yep. What what's the rush? Yeah. <laughs> Unless Joel Embiid comes to him and says, the fact that you're not trading Ben Simmons is pissing me off and making yeah. me want to leave. You know, if that happens, then Ben Simmons is gone the next day. <laughs> yep. But until that happens, uh, I I don't understand why Maury would trade Ben Simmons um, for so anything in less than a King's ransom. I think I want to talk a little bit about. Um, you know, like guys that are, it's early in the season. Um, I think one thing, one thing for those of you, especially in the audience who haven't played a lot of fantasy basketball or haven't been in our league for very long. Um, the first three weeks of the season are a ripe time for talent. This is when 
you identify guys that are taking new roles, guys that have taken big steps. It's the first time you get to see guys who have put a whole off season of work in and you get to see who actually put work in and who just went on cruises the whole off season. Um, it's also where you see which guys have blossomed into their role and are playing more minutes. I, I strongly encourage everybody in the audience uh, minutes played is the best indicator of fantasy performance that exists on the planet earth. The more minutes you're on the floor, the more opportunities you have to shoot the ball. Especially in a points league, which is what we are. 100%. If you're getting, the more time you're out there, the more chance you have to do to accidentally catch rebounds, accidentally get steals, even if you're not good at those things, right? Um, so I guess I want to I want to ask you, David, and it's a bit of a loaded question because I think I know what the answer is, but like who are maybe the two, one, let's start with, who's the one guy that you feel like has taken a huge step forward this year that nobody knows about? I think what a, probably a lot of people don't realize is either the number two or the number four player. I'll have to look it up, but a top five player so far this season in points leagues has been uh, Miles Bridges, who is a fourth year player yeah. on uh, the Hornets. Um, he's basically been a guy that's been like a, a late round draft pick for the last three seasons and even a mid to late round draft pick at the start of this season for fantasy leagues just because he has a lot of potential he's a very athletic guy he's a bigger guy he's like a, a kind of like a, a mix between a wing and a power forward so he plays power forward for him but he's been suddenly he's now a three-point savant and he's blocking shots everywhere. He's stealing shots. He's their go-to offensive guy. He's benefiting from, I think he's benefiting from LaMelo ball maturing a little bit and stepping up and assuming a greater role as well and taking some pressure off of him uh, along with Gordon Hayward's finally consistently healthy. And he's able to take some of the load off as well. So now you know, he's getting, he has guys around him to space the floor for him um, and to allow him to play more one-on-one or to allow him to make cuts and they can make a pass to him to, uh, yeah. for him to finish. He does not look like a fluke to me. The guy can ball. Um, his shot is, um, I don't want to say dramatically improved from last season, but the, the results are dramatically improved. Um, and he's taking a lot more with confidence in the offense. Um, very much reminds me of Julius Randle. Um, like that, that four role. Um, I hate to call it a stretch with a better four, shot with a better shot. Well, I don't know. And Joe, more Joe, athletic. He is, is certainly more athletic. I think if you knew about miles bridges last season, it was because you watched highlights of him dunking on dudes. Yeah. Um, he's all he, over the top tens. He's all over <laughs> top tens last season. Um, but he's very much like he's, he's, he's not exactly built like LeBron, but he isn't that far off. He's a big dude. He's strong. He can jump out the building. Um, and yeah, dude, he's shooting insanely well, um, to, to the point David is making, um, right now in our league, he is according to total fantasy points and so not fantasy points per game. He's the third best player right behind Jokic and Giannis, right? Ahead of Durant, ahead of Anthony Davis, ahead of Paul George. Um, so it's the 11th per game. DeJounte Murray, um, has been incredible it's the new russell westbrook dude he has been a triple double threat every night of the year his game i mean i think okay so full disclosure both david and i are are massive san antonio spurs fans 
Um, so we love seeing DeJounte. I, I think both you and I have talked about, I think from year two, knew DeJounte was going to be an all-star. I'll be honest, I did not think he was going to be this good. He is he is playing outside his mind. He's a huge defense. He's probably the best defender on our team. He is rebounding. His shot. I mean, he's been the best defender for I mean, he's been an all NBA defensive player uh for a couple of years now. Yeah. And and I think that anybody who is a basketball like a hoop head, right, knows DeJounte brings defense. He's long, he's lanky, he's gonna get rebounds. I think, at least from my perspective, where he stepped it up this season has his shooting. There's a lot less wasted energy. Like when he was when he was first in the NBA, it was kind of this like cocked off to the side, little like above the head little thing. Lonzo ball shot. Yeah, yeah. It was very Lonzo ball. Um, but now he's, he's just uh he's a lot, Steph Curry. He's a lot quicker through his movement. Um, and it just frankly just goes in a lot more. Um and you can see the confidence in his game as I watch him. We, because of the debacle that is regional sports networks right now, I actually can't watch Spurs games um, because time to get a VPN, dude. You, uh, YouTube TV doesn't allow um, <laughs> me to watch Bali sports. But when I have illegally pirated the games, um, it, it's, he's a he's a delight to watch. Me. Oh, so, don't post this on YouTube. He, he's, an, <laughs> he's an impressive young player, Al Horford, who we all know what happened with him last year. Um, went to OKC, sat out. They they tried to find him a home that worked. Had a good season though. He 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 did have a good end of the season. So he is having a renaissance esque year thus far. Um, so he's averaging forty three fantasy points per game. I guess my biggest question is like, is this really going to continue? I mean, it's Al Horford. Here's my prediction. Looking at every season he's ever played. Okay. I'll read off his career averages for you in the categories that are maybe slight outliers so far this year. <laughs> uh, he has a career average of 1.2 blocks. And this season so far, he's averaging three blocks, which I'm pretty sure would make him the best blocker in the NBA. <laughs> a lot. He's also averaging 10.1 rebounds. His career average is 8.2 in the last seven seasons he's been right around seven so expect that to drop off a little bit his minutes are basically exactly the same as the last uh six seven years so if he keeps that up and stays healthy then you know um great once those other stats kind of fall back to earth i think it's more likely he'll be about the 60th ranked player or so yeah um by the time the season ends his minutes are pretty much the same as they've always been, which could maybe be a little deceiving. Um, but if you do look a little deeper, like he's shooting 89% from the free throw line and he's a career 75% shooter for a while. He shot in the sixties. Like it, there's just no way he does that for a whole season. I do believe that Al Horford is going to have a good year. I think any team that is looking for a guy who's going to perform at a high level, get you 35 points per game for maybe the next two years, I think he's a good option. Does he fit on John's team? No, not at all. I think Jonathan should be looking to shop him right now because quite frankly, he's wasted on, on Jonathan's team. He's, he's not, you don't need 35 points per game from a 35 year old dude. Like, so get some young assets, move him to a team that makes sense um, and get your value out of him while he's while someone else can use that value and don't let it these last 
renaissance years before. I guess the, the next guy I wanted to talk about, and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pass the ball a little bit on any guys that stuck out for you. Jonas Valanciunas, um, really yeah. playing very well in New Orleans. I've watched, so I, I, I have a personal interest in watching New Orleans right now because of a player on my team. I want to see how he's progressed in, in year three. Um, at, or I think, is it year two? I don't remember. Nikhil, uh, yeah, year three. I want to see whether he's making that step. Um, and man, Valanciunas looks good. He looked really good last year on Memphis. I said it all last year. Like, who's a guy, like anytime people would ask me, like, who's a guy that's underrated is always Jonas Valanciunas. I, I guess the question is how much does Zion coming back hurt his stock fantasy wise? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he'll hurt him much at all. You know, Zion will tr- attract a double team, him and Ingram, when they're there. Um, and Valanciunas is probably going to be a benefit or, or benefit from those defenders being preoccupied. And then he is, he's just a guy that like, you can just throw him the ball and he'll more likely than not, he'll just get you a bucket in the post. Yep. And I mean, he, he's always been a rebounding guy, even when he's been around other guys. Uh, ja Morant has uh, made a lot of improvements this year. Although I, I don't know if he stays where he's at right now, he's the ninth best player. Um, and that's because I think he's shooting ridiculous percentages um, so I have a bit of a take. Have you watched much of Ja? Yeah, uh, I, I watched one game. So I'm a um, Memphis is a is a league pass uh, team for me right now. Ja Morant is the most athletic six two guy I've ever seen in my life. Like I I'm not old enough to have watched AI when he first came into the league, but I imagine that. AI was not doing crazy dunks over people. All, all I know is, I, and I said this with, <laughs> I was watching a game with, uh, with Colin the other night. He legitimately looks like Giannis at 6'2". Like he plays like Giannis with these crazy body control things that like, I just don't see people do. Like I, I'm not used to watching someone just like go into the air and then decide what they're going to do. Adjust five times. Yeah, like, then... <laughs> like, oh, no, that didn't work. Let's try a different one. Like, I don't know. If anybody likes watching Giannis, like, pick up the remote and watch Ja, because that kid is a freak. I yeah, saying. I just don't know if uh, he'll keep up the fantasy crushing, though. Like, I I agree. Like, I, he, he seems destined to be a top five point guard at some point um, throughout his career, but he's shooting 52% from the field, which – is by far his career high. Um, and he's averaging two steals a game, which he's only been a one steal guy before. Probably not going to keep up. Everything else seems reasonable though. So DeMar DeRozan is much higher than I expected him to be. I thought he'd kind of drop off a cliff when he joined the Bulls this offseason. He got traded, uh, for everyone who doesn't know, he got traded to the Chicago Bulls who now have Lonzo Ball, they got him in the offseason. They have um, Zach Levine. Now they have DeMar DeRozan, and they also have Nicholas, uh, Nick Vucevic. So, obviously, all four of those guys are high-usage players. There's only one basketball, so someone's got to drop off. I thought it would be DeMar DeRozan um, and somewhat Lonzo Ball, but he's been killing it so far. He's the highest ranked out of all those guys, I think. If you're a Spurs fan, 
the one thing you know about DeMar DeRozan is he cannot hit a three to save his life. So the fact that he's hitting him now is a total fluke and that's not going to keep up, but I mean, or, everything else or is... infuriating, you know, depending on how, what, like, <laughs> what suddenly... perspective you're on. Yeah. Like, or, or you just get irate that like he suddenly decided to get on this new trend of three point shooting one year after he's on our team. Yeah. Everything else though, looks, uh, looks pretty legit. So I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes top 20. Um, LaMelo ball took a huge step. Um, he's a second year player on Tony's team. And so far he's been killing it. Uh, he's averaging what almost 20 points a game, six rebounds, six assists, two steals with some three threes a game on great percentages other than his field goal percentage, but 94 from the line. I don't know if that's maintainable. Uh, 40% from three on seven attempts. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Um, but he's playing great. I think one of the reasons LaMelo's seen such an expansion in terms of his fantasy production is, I mean, to be quite honest, it's just, so again, this is probably a good education piece for the people in the audience that are somewhat new to fantasy. Um, You will see rapid expansion in fantasy contribution in the first four years of guys' careers, even if they're not very good, like rookies, if you get a rookie who gets 20, 25 fantasy points per game in a normal year, this year is an absurd aberration with regard to rookies. But generally, if you get a you get a fantasy, a, a rookie that's getting 20 to 25 fantasy points per game in the rookie season, like that's a good guy. That's a guy that's going to be a good contributor who might top out around like mid 30s, high 30s, maybe even low 40s. Um, John Morant was, mid, you know, low 30s his first his rookie year and he was rookie of the year. So, um, you know, for LaMelo to come in and average 30-something fantasy points a game, you should expect a large jump in year two. And if you don't see it, that's a huge, a huge red flag, um, right? That's one of the reasons why there's been so much criticism of Ben Simmons is because you didn't see these huge jumps in years two, three, and four, um, right? Like Miles Bridges, as much as we've talked about it during this pod, like, Guys like that happen every, you know, every couple of years, like dudes who make significant steps in year three and four. The norm is a guy is who he's going to be by year four. Um, and so really what you're looking for in terms of your, your in terms of talent is um, you want rookies that have gone under the radar. You want to identify guys who are efficient with the time they're given some guys who can put up stats, even when they're given less minutes. Um, and in year twos and three, two and three, you're looking for guys who has the biggest Delta in terms of their performance year one to year two to year three. Um, so I think, you know, what you look at with LaMelo doesn't shock me, right? I mean, he was, he was a solid performer year one. He's taken the step forward that I'd expect. Um, he's a really talented kid. OG and Anobi. I know everyone's always talked about him next year is his <laughs> breakout year and he was the like jay cutler of the nba <laughs> <laughs> but maybe this is the year where he's actually breaking out i don't know um jared allen um is higher a lot higher than i expect uh cole anthony uh which i mean i hadn't even heard of the guy until i picked him up late last season off the way for wire <laughs> In the spirit of this episode, um, I want to keep going with guys that have stood out, guys that are high performers, 
but we're going to specifically zone in on rookies. Um, we're going to do this in every episode where we'll talk a little bit about performance, whether it be overperforming, underperforming. And then at the end of the performance section, we're going to talk a little bit about rookies um, because given that this is a dynasty league, obviously rookies are the lifeblood of the NBA. And that's what's going to keep our teams uh, afloat over the next few years. I'm convinced that this last year's draft class is a is an all-timer. Um, I've compared it to the 2003 draft class, which had LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul, um, Dwayne Wade. I mean, just to keep listing. There's like 10 Hall of Famers in that class. Um, the 96 draft class, which had uh, Kobe, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, right? These, th- these things happen every 10 years. There's just like a class that has like t- tons of talent that kind of just like populate the NBA for years to come. Um, I'm convinced this year is one of those years. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the guys who are standing out. And uh, and why why the data supports that assertion? If we were not a dynasty league, if we were a one year uh, fantasy points or categories league, whatever, there have so far been five rookies that are worthy or good uh, good enough to be on a team. Um, that's Chris Duarte, Josh Giddy, Franz Wagner, Evan Mobley, and Scotty Barnes. Uh, of course, Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley were pretty high draft picks in the real NBA draft. Um, so I guess I can't say I'm as surprised by them. Uh, having said that, I'm, I'm surprised by Mobley and that he's as good as he is. And he actually seems good from an NBA perspective as well, not just a fantasy perspective. Scotty Barnes, I'm more uh, surprised by, I thought this guy would be, you know, total crap in his rookie year. And maybe he turns into something in like year three or four. Um, but so far he's been the best per game fantasy guy, but out of all these guys, the guy that I'd never even heard of, uh, and it's the most surprising is probably this Chris Duarte guy. Um, he's averaging 27 fantasy points a game which is the fifth best among rookies, uh, but there's a big jump between him and the sixth best. Uh, He's playing on Indiana and he's averaging 17 points a game, not fantasy points, like real NBA points. He's averaging 17 points a game uh, with five rebounds, two assists, a steal. Um, He's hitting almost three threes a game. Uh, So this guy has been probably the most out of nowhere impressive to me. One of the oldest rookies, so he's 24 years old. So there's some some disadvantage there. Um, so I, I think the theory was he'd be the most ready to contribute. But for those of you who are not draft heads, and I've kind of turned into a draft head the last couple of years, um, I'm going to translate what ESPN means when they say ready to contribute. They mean bad. The answer is bad. The answer is won't be a good NBA player usually. Um, like Jabari, it means they've already hit their ceiling. It, it means they've hit <laughs> the ceiling of who they can be as an NBA, as a player, and they can't get any better. So um, I, I was not high on Chris Duarte. I'll be honest, and I'll I'll plug your guy for you so that so it doesn't come off as tampering. Honestly, Franz Wagner was my my kind of like shocker. Um, I, I watched a ton of draft footage for this last draft. My my team being in the the absolute dredges of the league last season. Um, and a lot of my strategy was to try to, I was familiar with how good this class was supposed to be. And so it was really important that I watch a lot of films so that I could select the right guys with the picks I would get. Um, and, and honestly, Franz Wagner did not stick out to me on, on tape. Like he was not impressive. He wasn't super athletic. 
Um, he, he looked to me like a Duncan Robinson type kind of player, to be totally honest, a bigger than Duncan Robinson, but a Duncan Robinson nonetheless, which is not what I want from a fantasy, certainly not from a first round pick. Um, not from a Duke, points league. The guy has, has been playing really well. Like he's, he's contributing meaningfully. Um, I will also say as you go through his stats, and this is one thing just as an education piece for the league, one thing to really take a look at, especially in the first few weeks of the season, is what is the actual games breakdown look like versus what their averages look like? Because you'll have guys in the first two weeks of the league who are like, oh, this guy's averaging 25, 35 points a game. But it's because they dropped 50 two nights and it's just, you know, soaring their average. Which, Single digits the other nights. <laughs> yeah, and you go like, if you see a guy who's got 50 and then one, seven, 17, 20, and he's in the 30s, like th- that guy's not averaging 30s for the season. So um, Franz, Franz has really impressed me. I mean, yes, he has one 50-point game, which is certainly booing his average a little bit. But, I mean, 30, 33, 35, 32, he's playing 30 minutes a game. He's on a – He's on a garbage tier team in Orlando and he's going to continue to get run. And he passes the eye test when I watch him. Like kid can ball, man. He's he's much more athletic than I gave him credit for. Much better shooter than I gave him credit for. Much better defender than I gave him credit for. So um I think he's for real. I honestly Y'all heard it here. Trade target. <laughs> so, so now <laughs> David will be accepting any trades that anyone wants to submit. Absolutely. And and I think a lot of people expected Mobley to be good. I certainly did. That's why I drafted him. I don't think anybody expected him to be as good as he's been. He is, he's, he's literally the defensive anchor for the Cleveland Cavaliers as a 19 year old kid. Like he's the best defender on a team on an uh, NBA he's 20 team. now. Oh, sorry. Sorry. He's 20 now. Sorry. But old man. He is the best defender on an NBA team that is winning games. Like, and I'm not saying that just because he's my guy. Like if you watch him, the kid is a crazy good defender. Um, and Giddy, he's very much in the in the vein of a, a Lamelo, like crafty, creative passer, very big, very, big, very long. Um, doesn't play a lick of defense, but um, it, hey, man, they, like to be honest, what, especially it's one point three steals and 0.6 blocks, which is I guess good for fair. a point guard for blocks, but that's mm-hmm. probably because he's big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I I think Giddy's for real um do, is he gonna be a hall of famer who knows right we gotta we gotta watch for that but um i think he's i think he's for real and so far his stats point a little bit towards like a ricky rubio type like he's not taking many shots he's not producing many points in fact he's producing uh less points than uh pretty much all the other top performing rookies um by a decent amount but he's getting a lot of rebounds and assists yeah. um, because of his, his size and because of how he plays. He's, he's just based off his stats. He seems like a offense initiator setup player. The genuine appeal of Giddy as a fantasy asset is he's putting up 30 fantasy points per game right now while scoring what I, it's some absurdly low amount of points, 9.9 9 points. points a game. Like, what happens when that kid learns to shoot? One thing to note, he's on Oklahoma City, which means uh, they have nobody on their team. <laughs> so, of course, their number one draft pick is going to be given the opportunity to produce, and he is. But, um, you know, keep an eye out if OKC starts picking up more players. Uh, maybe his numbers don't 
progress in the way that you hope. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's not worth holding on to and seeing how he pans out, but he is on the worst team in the NBA <laughs> with all the minutes in the world. So just keep that in, in perspective. So, yeah. And actually, yes, we've been sitting here um, and I'm looking at these guys. Maybe the guy I am most impressed with is Scotty Barnes I because all these other four players have clear opportunity there. Uh, and like these teams aren't any good. Cleveland's garbage. Orlando's garbage. OKC's garbage. Indiana's, I mean, they might as well be garbage. Uh, maybe they're not quite as bad as the other ones, but whatever. Um, Scotty Barnes. I'd, I'd like on. to officially plug that I don't think Cleveland is garbage, but I just, I just want to get that on <laughs> on film so that when they end the season at five hundred, that that I can say I said oh, so. Oh, okay, we'll do a we'll do an over under on that. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Barnes, though he's on Toronto, which have established players. Um, granted, some of them are injured right now. Siakam's injured, but they already have Anunobi, who we talked about earlier in the um, overperforming segment um he's breaking out so he's demanding a lot of minutes they have fred van vliet who's a top 10 15 guy uh they have all these established players that that were there um you know post Kawhi championship time uh with all the roles already defined and he comes in as just like a toronto lucked into their draft pick basically i think last year they were statistically they were projected to get like the 10th or 11th or 12th pick in the draft, but they somehow ended up with the fourth pick. Um, and they got, they grabbed Scotty Barnes. And so he's coming onto a team that doesn't have as much opportunity as all these other ones and doesn't have a clear role for him. Uh, but in spite of all that, he's averaging the most fantasy points of any player. If I'm trying to lean into Masai's vision, so Masai is the general manager for for Toronto. It's a seven foot three inch wingspan. He does. Um, That's for everyone that doesn't know. That is freakish. (laughs) That is. That's what we call a positive ape index. Um, Uh, Yeah, like like uh, like Draymond Green. If you ever watch Golden State games, you always notice that Draymond Green is kind of a short guy, and they always talk about how sometimes he plays small ball center. The reason he can do that is because he has like a seven foot five inch wingspan. So he's shorter than everyone, but he can still reach up to the rim <laughs> and block everyone. Yeah. Uh, or steal the ball. And that's kind of what this guy, I guess, has with his wingspan as well. Every, every time you're drafting a guy, you're drafting a guy with a hole and you hope that he can fill that hole through either hard work or training or whatever it is, you know, it's it's almost just as likely to bank on a guy growing two inches from 20 to 25 years old than it is to bank on him learning to shoot an NBA level. And Scotty Barnes, this is this is essentially what happened with Giannis, if, if anybody's familiar with his career trajectory. I think he was six, seven and three quarters or something when he came something in the like league. that when he got drafted. Grew three inches, grew three inches, and all of a sudden he's the most dominant. At least. He's the most dominant point forward. Put on a hundred pounds of muscle. Must be taking every steroid under the sun. <laughs> yeah, no, David. There's no, there's no steroids in the NBA. Nothing to see here. There's no steroids in the NBA. What are you talking about? This is all natural. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think to to assume that it's it's that much more preposterous for a twenty year old to grow who's who's built the way these guys are built, and to gain you know two inches of height, put on some muscle, and and then to add a little bit of other things to his toolbox. Honestly, yeah, Scotty 
I think I think the Toronto hit a home run, and I think that uh, six foot eight uh, inches tall, seven foot three inch wingspan, thirty nine and a half inch vertical leap. Yeah, he's a and, freak athlete. <laughs> and you can see, and I think again, the question was, could he do it? And, and I think the answer is there. Like you, we've just talked about, he's the best performing rookie. Now, personally, I hope Mobley wins Rookie of the Year, but uh, I mean, there's a real chance Scotty Barnes wins that. So. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of all, all these guys. And I think maybe the best way to wrap up this, this rookie conversation is don't, don't allow the stats you're seeing rookies putting up this year to set a baseline for you. That's, uh, that's unfair or unreasonable because this year is an aberration for sure. For people that follow this, these things regularly. Um, now I think what comes along with that is like, and I'm just going to put this out there. We're not going to talk about them today, but there is value down the, the lineup a little more in guys that are putting up numbers that are good for a normal year and performing on teams that are not on rosters right now that are, that are rookies. Um, and I think a lot of the reason for that is because, you know, the perception is like, well, if he's not contributing right now, I, I can't use him, which uh, it's not necessarily the case. And just to wanna... harp on your, your point, Canyon, um, the best fantasy player right now is Nikola Jokic. His his rookie year, he averaged 25.6 fantasy points. That's not that good. Giannis is the number two player. His, fan, his rookie year, he averaged 17 fantasy points. That's garbage. Paul George, his rookie year, 16.8 points. Garbage. Jimmy Butler, rookie year, 4.8 points. <laughs> garbage. Like, not even rosterable. He was so bad. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> That's I think the story the, for a lot of these players. I, I think That's, that is generally the story. Like you know, most good rookies are putting up, I'm going to say 15 to 25 fantasy points per game. Uh, if they're hitting that their first year. No, I think you can also learn things from that, right? A guy that's putting up 15, generally not going to be a 50 point guy during his career. Like there's a, there's some correlations there. Not true. We, we, we just heard, right. Some examples of guys that don't fall into that, but there are some, some data points you can use to predict where a guy is headed. You got to think about the slope of where these guys career trajectories are headed. Um, And then I think maybe the, the last point I'll make, and that is that um, don't be disappointed by guys that aren't putting up numbers Um, like rookies, Rookies on good teams put up crap numbers. 